Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, my friends. This is Rick Thomas, and we're doing Life Over Coffee. I want to ask you some questions here about the family dynamic, about the leadership in your home. And I trust as I explore this with you that it will be helpful. Maybe for some of you, it will give you a path forward. But let me begin this by asking a couple of questions. One of those is, what is the consistent spiritual direction of your home? Meaning, is your home, is the direction of your home pursuing God? Or is it going in another direction? Or maybe you could say that it is inconsistent. Some days we're on, some days we're off. A second question is who is leading the family in that direction? Who is following? and who is leading in your home. Now, there is only one correct answer to the questions that I'm asking you. The Lord must be leading the family, and everybody else should be following Him according to the Bible's hierarchy. If the home is set up in in any other order, there will be dysfunction and there are no exceptions to this rule. And so with the home with the Lord on the point of the home, the husband, the subordinate leader of the home is next in line. And so that's how it stacks out in the hierarchy. God is leading the home, the husband is pursuing him, and then after the husband is the wife who is submitted to the husband who is submitted to the Lord. And then the children orient themselves behind their parents as they humbly submit and follow the parents' God-centered examples. Now, as you can see with what I'm laying out here, that the wife has uh, two roles, functionally speaking. There is a double dependency regarding how she relates to her husband and regarding to how she relates to God. And so in one sense, she submits to her husband, and she depends on him in in limited ways because he cannot provide in every way, like only God can regenerate her, and there are things that only God can provide for her. But he does, she does uh, submit to her husband in limited ways, while her ultimate authority is to God Almighty. And so you could say that every wife is double dependent. Now, her double dependency does not negate her equality with her husband. She is equal to her husband as she submits and depends on him in a limited way and on God ultimately. There should be any confusion with this this idea of a hierarchy and equality happening at the same time. In fact, in order for our culture to function well, there has to be hierarchy within our culture. We see it. We have civil authorities and we have civilians. We have teachers and we have uh, students. We have pastors and we have congregants. We have husbands, we have wives, we have parents, we have children. And so there has to be hierarchy in order for our culture to function well. Maybe you can look at the, the inverted illustrations of this, that whenever hierarchical structures break down, chaos always ensues. Whether the hierarchical structures are within our culture or the hierarchical structures are within our family, 
Whenever the hierarchies break down, there will be confusion. However, though there are hierarchies, it does not negate that everybody is equal that we're all fellow image bearers before God. As the saying is, all ground is equal around the cross. The teacher is not better than the student. The civil authority is not better than the civilian. The pastor is not better than the congregant. The, the husband The father is not better than the wife or the children. And so two things are true at the exact same time. We need hierarchy in order to function well, but hierarchy never means that one person is better than the other person. And so it is incumbent upon the wife to submit and respond well to her husband's leadership and care, knowing that They're both the same in God's eyes. Now, I realize that this worldview creates tension, even among some wives, because the Bible's ideal is not their lived experience. And I have the emails. Uh, This ministry, as of right now, is 15 years old. And we have received so many emails over the years that I can't remember them all, and I definitely don't know how many. We have received many forum posts of wives who have come to us whose husbands are not leading well, meaning that the husbands are not submitted to God, that they are not following the leader of the home, and the leader of the home is God Almighty. We have thousands of people on our social media platforms, and inevitably, Almost every week, someone will try to communicate to us through those platforms, and we feel so so handicapped because we can only help so many people, but we hear what they are saying, that their lived experience is not what the Bible teaches. And so I understand the tension that many women will have in their souls right now as they listen to this podcast or as they watch the video or as they read the article. But here's the thing. Human failure should not alter God's plan for our lives. I am one of those people that was nested up within a hierarchy as a child in a dysfunctional home. And even though our hierarchical structure, I don't think that it could have been much worse than what it was. And for those of you who are familiar with our ministry, I've shared that uh, story many times. In fact, I would encourage you to go over to lifeovercoffee.com and then just search for some version of this, the reason I stopped hating my dad. And and in that, you will read the story of my dysfunctional dad and the effect that it had on me as I was nested up in that hierarchy. And you'll also see my evil response to that. And that is where I had no right Oh, I could speak into his lack of leadership and speak into his inability or unwillingness to be a proper authority in our home, but I had no right to sin against him. And when I did sin against him, I only complicated the problem. And the temptation is is to go out and create an inferior model It's like, well, we can't have a biblical model in our home, and so I'm just going to create, go out and create 
another kind of truth, an inferior model, a truth that's more accommodating to something that I desire. Whenever we, whenever we create an inferior model, what the Bible does not teach, these, these solutions are fallen solutions, and they will not accomplish what you think they're going to accomplish. Eventually, those in, in, inferior models will collapse and fold up on you. And that's the warning that I want to give today. I, I went out and tried to create a, a world that was different from my home because I did not know a biblical model. Fortunately, after many years of, of trying and failing, God, God began to teach me what a proper biblical home looks like and how to implement it and to have a family where the husband is following God, the wife is submitting, the children are following along. But like many of you, I did the same thing, and I created an inferior model. Let, let me share with you just a few illustrations of what an inferior model will look like with the warning, this will not work. Don't try this at home. For example, parents who orient their home to serve the children primarily. We call these child-centered homes. Now, we see that hyperbolically in our culture. I'll illustrate. But I want us to think more regionally what is going on in our families, not the hyperbolic iterations of it that we see in culture. Here's one of those uh, hyperbolic illustrations. It's where the parents uh, center themselves around the child, even to the point to where the child is the one to tell the parent what gender they are. Some parents even teach that their children know in the womb what gender they are, and they wait for the big reveal sometime in the future. They have, have centered their family around uh, the desires of the fallen child. That's not going to end well for them. It is impossible for it to end well for them. Not just end well in their lives, but they're going to export that generationally, and it will be chaos on top of chaos. And though you may not believe that a, a child can determine their gender, well, praise God for you, but we still can have child-centered homes. Let me illustrate the 10-year-old child that wants a phone, and you acquiesce because of fear of man, because of gaslighting, because of manipulations, because of cultural pressure. You don't want to be the odd man out, the odd woman out, and so you cater to the child. And we can cater in so many other ways that we orient our home around our children and what they want rather than us stepping up with courage and leading our families. A child-centered home is, a, <clears throat> excuse me, is an inferior model. A second illustration of an inferior model is the husbands who orient themselves around their wives or the children rather than God. Sometimes you will have husbands who, who had a terrible childhood, for example, and they jump in the other ditch and they want to shape and customize a just just an awesome experience for their children, but sometimes, many times, unwittingly catering to them in ways that they should not cater to them that ultimately does not help them, but for whatever reason, they cater to their wives or they cater to their children. That is an inferior model. Here's a third illustration. Wives who orient themselves around the children instead of their husbands. Now, there's two common reasons that they will do this. One is an unwitting reason, meaning they don't even realize that they're doing it. 
there is something spiritual, there's something mysterious, there's something dynamic between a mom and a child. She gives birth to this child, and something profound happens for obvious reasons, and she's not careful the children can become more important than the husband, that she will cater more toward the children rather than the husband. And so he's more of an outsider looking in uh, to this family dynamic because uh, she's so focused on the children rather than having a hierarchy set up in her mind. She can do this unwittingly. Another reason that she will do this is because, well, the husband is not leading, and so by default, He's not leading. I'm going to take care of the children. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. It is just the reality of what happens in homes where the husband is not leading. And this is where we have to think clearly and work hard to try to overcome this deficit that the man establishes in the home and the temptation in the wife's heart to center around the children because he does not lead. But the wife who orients herself around the children will set up an inferior familial model. Here's a fourth illustration, a husband who is passive in his relationship with God. And this is probably the most common sin temptation that the husband will succumb to within the marriage. He's just passive. And in most cases, the husband is not passive in some spheres of his life, like where he works. But because he's passive in his relationship with God, then all these spheres in his life ultimately will begin to break down. And the husband first has to reorient his life around God, not his wife, not his children. And he must learn to submit to the leader of the home, who is God all. Almighty. And until he has a vibrant relationship with God, it will be virtually impossible for him to lead his family well because he is not following well. And so a husband who is passive in his relationship with God will set up an inferior model that the Bible does not teach. And then finally, a wife who is bitter toward her husband. Now, this is a tricky trap for her. Because if she is not careful, she will be so justified in her responses and she will rationalize herself into a into a response mechanism to where she can respond any way that she wants to respond and feel sanctified in it because she is victimized by the husband's lack of leadership. And if she's not guarding her heart, then she will say, all sorts of horrible things about her husband and feel justified in saying those things, not realizing that she is complicating the problem, sabotaging the marriage just as much as the husband is. Now, that's exactly what I did as a teenager. I felt sanctified in my response because they sinned first. And I was the victim of their sinning, and so I retaliated with sinful responses, not recognizing how much I was complicating the family dynamic when my first response would be not to sin in response to sin. But sometimes a wife can grow bitter toward her husband because of his lack of leadership, and that will establish it will it will fully ensconce them in an inferior familial model. Proper biblical orientation of the home is a husband in vigorous pursuit of God. 
a wife who humbly follows him in their collective passion for the Lord and the children who come alongside in the wake of the parents' leadership. This dynamic creates biblical, familial success. Anything else will lead the family into chaos. Now, I know that this type of conversation nearly always stirs at least one question, and you already know what the question is. What if my husband is not humbly and passionately following the Lord? This is a relevant question, and it's a sad question, too. Because, quite frankly, many Christian husbands do not biblically lead their wives or their families. Now, let me caveat here. In many of these situations, they don't know how to. I would be in that boat. If you're, again, if you're part of our ministry or familiar with it, you know how I failed as a husband and, and as a father. Imagine that, that you get married and you have no, t- no biblical template of what I'm describing here, that you didn't have a dad who was vigorously, passionately following the Lord, that you didn't have a mother that was following likewise, that you were just left to, to flounder in your own dysfunction, and then you get married, and this is where it becomes generational. This is where you export your lived experience, some iteration of it, to the family that you create. And so wives need to understand that. For those of you who are getting married, you need to take that into consideration. If you're marrying a person with no template of what a biblical family looks like, well, they're not going to miraculously create one because they finish your sentences during the dating relationship, because you're so in love during the dating relationship. No, it's not going to happen. It's going to take work for this new husband to learn what a biblical template is, to install it into his family, to teach it to those who are following him as he is following God. And that is a tough putt uh, for many people who were born or and lived within dysfunction. And so that is my caveat, that I know that it is a a sad situation when your husbands aren't leading, and I'm not making them victims of their parental experience, but I'm just saying that that is a re- reality. You can only you can only live out what you know, and if you haven't had it lived out before you, it's really hard to develop that. And so I live in the real world where fallenness is all around us, and to expect everyone to attain the aims of Scripture in this context, in the area of biblical leadership of the husband and the wife. Quite frankly, it's just naive. A husband's lack of biblical leadership can be frustrating for a wife. It, can all, it is also a challenging counseling situation when a wife is willing to submit to her husband but he does not desire to fulfill his role of leading the family by passionately and and wisely pursuing the Lord. And I've had that situation so many times. It's like the wife is, is here, and she's not that bitter wife. She really wants him to lead. In these sad cases, the wife still has a biblical leader helping her. 
meaning she can continue to submit to the Lord. She is a double dependent woman. She is submitting to her husband, but her ultimate authority is God Almighty. If her husband refuses to lead her biblically, she can experience biblical leadership from God. And this same perspective applies to children too. It took me a long time to realize this beautiful truth. I spent the first two decades, two decades and a half of my life angry because those who were supposed to lead me, my parents, they did not lead me well. And rather than submitting my heart to the Lord, and this is the warning for you wives out there who have husbands who are not leading well, rather than submitting my heart to the Lord, I chose anger, victimization, justifications for the misery that I was experiencing. Though my parents were not good leaders, their lack of gospel adherence should not have had so much power over my thoughts and my behaviors. They did not make me sin in response to their nonsensical parenting. I chose to sin as I donned the role of a helpless victim. After relinquishing my desire for a better home life, I eventually found freedom and grace in God. And the freedom and the grace that I found, it didn't change my parents at all. I had to let go of, they would, of, of what they would not give me, and I had to grab what the Lord offered me. I still had a responsibility to honor my parents. There was still a level of, of dependency upon them, even though it was waning as I got older. But ultimately, my authority was God. And so if you are sinfully angry toward anyone for what they have done or what they have not done, you will never be free from their control over you. And you will never experience what the Lord is willing to give you. And if this is you, I appeal to you to let go of what you are not getting and begin pleading with the Lord to, to fill this emptiness in your life. There are things that we can do, and there are things that we must entrust to the Lord. If our sphere of responsibility moves into the sphere of things that we should be entrusting to God, then we will sin because we will become the mini Messiah in, God, in someone's life. We will be doing God's job. For example, it's not your responsibility to change people. Only God can change someone. And so you're responsible for this much. You have a very small sphere. And there are things that are outside of that sphere that you cannot control. You cannot manipulate. You cannot anger into submission. You cannot frustrate them into doing what is right. But if you grow outside of your limited responsibility and try to manipulate things that only God can change, it's not going to go well for you. And so let me lay out five steps for your consideration, things for you to think about. If you're in a situation where you're submitted to someone who is not following God, now this could be a, a child 
who is submitted to parents who aren't following God. But I've written this about uh, wives who are submitted to husbands, but the husbands aren't following the Lord well. Step one, confess to the Lord how your good desire for a better situation has made you bitter, maybe angry, cynical, fearful, perhaps anxious. Pick all that apply. Maybe you can add others that more accurately describe your hurt and your heart. Step one, plead with God to remove this sin from your heart. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. And so step one, plead with God to take the sin away for this good desire that you have for your husband to lead. Step two, ask him to bring contentment into your heart, to replace the bitterness and the anger with contentment, even in an undesirable relationship. Now, to do this, you must identify what you're not getting from your husband. You must identify how he is a disappointment to you at this time. And please recognize that your desires, they're probably wholesome. Your desires are probably good desires, but those desires have morphed into something that is controlling you. And because you can't get those desires met, you're responding in sinful anger. And so as you confess those things to God, you want to identify specifically what those controlling desires are. Step three, these hidden idolatries will mainly circle around two things, fear or anger. And so if you're having a hard time identifying what these hidden idolatries are, think about two buckets that they're probably in. These are the two primary buckets. One is fear and the other is anger. For example, you're afraid of what might happen if he continues not to lead fear, or you're angry that he won't lead and how his lack of leadership adds to your responsibility to do his job and your job too. And so maybe as you try to identify the hidden desires and idolatries in your heart, perhaps you will see them in one of these two buckets of fear and anger. Step number four, find a friend of the same gender to become a mentor to care for you, someone who will hold you accountable, someone who will spur you on to love and good deeds. Now, this person must exhibit both compassion and courage. If they only have compassion, they might coddle you. If they only have compassion, they might they, they may begin to map their experience, their horrible experience over you. You don't need that kind of empathetic friend. You need a sympathetic friend, a person who has courage too. Now, if all they have is courage and, and they lack compassion, they're going to be unkind to you. That's why you need a person who is compassionate and courageous. They won't coddle you, and they won't harm you. They won't be harsh to you, uh, but they will be a sympathetic listener and a sympathetic helper. Step four, find someone who can come alongside you to help you. And then number five, tenaciously work to renew your mind. You see, your sin is complicating your husband's sin, like I was describing as an angry teenager. Now, I did not say that you're causing him to sin. You're not. 
Those are choices that he is making. But you can complicate the problems in the home if you pile on by sinning in response to what he is doing or not doing. It's like the sinfully angry parent yelling at the child for being angry. Firstly, the parent must repent of their sin because they can't help the child until they do that. I've titled this, The Necessity of the Double-Dependent Wife. I want to wrap up here by asking you a few questions, and then we'll be done. If you're disappointed with your husband's leadership, will you admit that you might sabotage what God could do through you? Reflect on the illustration of the angry parent trying to help an angry child. Just recognize how that can complicate the situation and how it's inappropriate for the parent to be sinfully angry if they're going to be a gentle restorer of that caught child. Read Galatians 6, 1, 2, and 3. Number two, what one thing will you change about yourself to begin the reorientation of the home? Number three, who will you talk to each time you fail in this leadership opportunity? Yes, I'm calling you to step up, wife, and to be a leader in the home. And, of course, you will fail. We all do. And so it would be best if you had someone who won't coddle you, someone who won't be harsh, but would courageously guide you through repentance so you can get back on track in helping your family, specifically helping your husband. Number four, do you think it's unfair for you to be a double-dependent wife? Dependent on my husband, submitted to him is what I'm talking about, and then submitted to God. Is that fair? Do you think it's unfair? Why do you believe that if you believe it's unfair? What about a child who is double-dependent the child who is dependent upon the parents and, of course, dependent upon God? Is it wrong to depend upon his parents and God too? How would you guide a child who had awful parents, like maybe you have an awful husband? How would you guide that child? Perhaps applying that advice to you will help you as you lead your husband from your submitted position. I have titled this The Necessity of the Double-Dependent Wife. By the way, we're, we're all doubly dependent in whatever hierarchical structure that we're in. We're all feeling it with our political system. We are, we, there's a dependency. There is a, a call to respect our authorities. And sometimes you have authorities that are just bumbling their role as an authority, but there is a double dependency there, and it's not upon us to sin in response to whatever these authorities are doing in our life. There is another path forward, meaning as submitted beings, we have to step up and lead even from a submitted position. Thank you so much for listening. One last thing, we, we do training at our ministry at lifeovercoffee.com. Some of you, this is the right season, the right time for you to consider. Our Mastermind program is an all-online training program where we teach folks how to, to be the best disciple maker that they can possibly be. Some of those people that come to us actually have a capacity that is, is greater than just being 
a disciple maker. They can actually do formalized biblical counseling. Now, that is rare. There's very few people in this world that have the capacity and the competency to do formalized biblical counseling, but some do, but that doesn't matter to us. What we want to do is to identify your capacity of whatever it may be and then fill it up with competency so that you can be all that God wants you to be, fulfilling the great commission of going and making disciples. And so if you're interested in our Mastermind program, we would love for you to do it. We have a high view of the local church, and we would find no greater joy than cooperating with your church training you up so that you can supplement the leadership in your church doing the work of discipleship. And so if this is a good season for you for two or three years, it's self-paced, and so it folds into your life and what's going on into your life. And so you can work the program as you continue to do what you normally do. Uh, if you would like more information on that, please go to our website at lifeovercoffee.com, and you can learn all about it. Thanks so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.